Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. Federal health officials say the Omicron wave sweeping through the country is the worst Canadians have experienced since the pandemic began. Ottawa has been actively working with the provinces to brace for the unprecedented surge and pressure on hospitals. But it's clear that there are cracks in the system. The polarizing politics of the pandemic are on display, too, from taxes on the unvaccinated to flip-flops on unvaxxed truckers that could affect the supply chain here in Canada. And there are questions about when the federal government will kick in the long-promised money to help the straining healthcare systems across the provinces. Navigating all of this is Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos. He joins me now. We appreciate your time. I know that you have a lot to, to juggle, and so do we, so we're going to dive right into it. The first question I want to put to you is something that we hear a lot about from our viewers, and, and that's the question about the possibility of attacks on the unvaccinated. This is something that Quebec is saying they will do. You've said you understand some of the logic behind it. So I'm hoping we can get some clarity. Do you support the provinces if they decide to put a tax on unvaccinated Canadians? Well, thank you, Mercedes. And on that, there is one thing we know and two things, uh, one thing we don't know and two things we do know. The thing that we don't know is obviously the nature, the timing, the importance of that tax. The thing that we do know is that I have heard from all provinces and territories, including the Quebec government, that they are going to continue to abide by the principle of universality of access to health care. In Canada, we we, we manage healthcare on a basis which is independent of people's conditions, in particular people's ability to pay. So that's a principle on which everyone agrees. And the third thing, the third thing that we know is vaccination is key out of this crisis. So every measure that we can put into place that is a, a right measure is fine, is good, as long as it increases vaccination with the benevolent purpose of protecting everyone against the very severe impact that, the, that COVID can have on their health and possibly on their life. Are you concerned in something that starts off as benevolent? You're trying to protect people. You're trying to protect others with vaccination. That actually opens the door, though, to serious legal and ethical questions. Coercive measures to get people vaccinated that could potentially violate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Does that worry you if provinces are looking at this kind of a tax? Well, thank you. And let's be very clear. No one that I think of, and I'm sure no one that is listening to us today, is thinking of forcibly vaccinating someone. There is, we're not obviously in this world. However, vaccine mandates work. We have vaccine mandates at the federal level for many months for all public, federal public servants, everyone in the RCMP, everyone in the armed forces, everyone transiting uh, through the border, everyone using a plane or a train, soon for every uh, worker under federal uh, regulation. That works. 99% of public servants have chosen to vaccinate themselves. So that leads to very uh, good outcomes in terms of the overall vaccination rates, obviously. But more importantly, it gives everyone a better protection being vaccinated against COVID-19. But that's a very different type of vaccine mandate. That's an employer saying if you want to stay employed or if you want to get on a train or a plane, that's not saying if you want to access the health care system, you have to pay. 
That's right. Well, vaccine obligations, as I said, can be put into place in different ways. We have been quite successful at the federal level. We estimate, at least experts estimate, that because of the vaccine mandates that we have put into place, along with vaccine mandates at provinces and territories level, more than approximately up to 3 million Canadians in the last few months have chosen to be vaccinated. I just want to move on because we do have a ton to get through with you, as you can imagine. Truckers was a huge issue for you last week. Unvaccinated truckers crossing the border back and forth. Um, there was not just a 180, but a 360 your government did from saying they would have to be vaccinated uh, by a particular deadline to then know they wouldn't with the CBSA coming out. And then you came out and said that information was wrong. There's a lot of exasperated people now who are saying, they've sent truckers to the United States who will now have to quarantine when they get back. What happened with that? How did it get so turned around? Yes, indeed, the communication that was made a few days ago was confusing. What was clear and what has been clear, however, since November is that by Saturday, everyone, every, every, every trucker entering into Canada or, or every Canadian or American trucker transiting to Canada must be vaccinated. That has been known for many months and truckers in the very large numbers have chosen to be vaccinated and that's the right thing to do, not only to protect themselves, obviously, but also to protect their businesses and, their, and, their, and, the, and, and the industry. We know that the protecting against COVID-19 is the best, not only best health measure, but the best economic policy measure to, to apply to go through this crisis and to end it. Yeah, it just seemed very kind of bizarre that there wasn't clarity on what the policy there is. There's still a lot of frustration, as you know, with travel and coming in and out of the country. One thing that struck me was the PCR tests. We're PCR testing people when they come into the country, people who've chosen to leave either for essential or in some cases, we all know folks that are on non-essential travel. Meanwhile, Canadians here are struggling to get a PCR test if they're symptomatic. Do you still think that distributing those PCR tests to airports to test people who are returning from another country who've already had to have a PCR test somewhere else 72 hours in advance makes more sense than turning those tests over to the provinces who have a massive shortage? Well, two key words here, both starting with R, A, responsibility, and B, resources. The federal government has a responsibility to look after borders. We need to secure our borders in this emergency context where there is a lot of Omicron traveling not only inside Canada but outside of Canada. That's our responsibility and we're taking it very seriously. Then be resources. Those resources that we're using at the borders to protect Canadians and to protect people traveling through the borders, those resources are different from the resources that provinces and territories have access to. On health transfers, your government has promised more money to the provinces. It hasn't come through yet. What's the hold up there when we're looking at the situation where the healthcare system is just bursting at the seams? Why not send the premiers the money right now? Two key numbers here is uh, first 63 and then 25. $63 billion invested in health over the la since the start of COVID-19 by the federal government. That's in addition to all of the other transfers and the Canada Health Transfer in particular that still exists obviously uh, through, the, the, through COVID-19. 25 billion because we have promised during the, ca the campaign a rapid investment of 25 billion dollars in healthcare, A, to go through the crisis, B, to build the, uh, uh, no, rebuild uh, based on the damage that the crisis has created in our healthcare system and see to build 
quickly rebuild quickly for the future the long-term challenges that our healthcare system is facing. Many of these challenges were there before COVID-19. They've been enhanced because of COVID-19. We are in constant conversation with provinces and territories, not only on the long-term investments, but the absolutely essential, immediate, short-term investments we need to make. Mm -hmm. So when would those long-term investments be coming? Because your government's been talking about them since before the pandemic. Well, the $25 billion I mentioned, these, are, these were committed in the platform in the, in the election, the last election of, uh, of last fall. The $63 billion that I mentioned just keep increasing. Just a few days ago, we announced the delivery of 140 million rapid tests. I understand the commitments there, but there's no timeline on, on when the money will actually start to move. They will come soon, and obviously Minister Freeland will, will, will be sharing that news. This, and what I'm saying, too, mostly, is that we are currently focusing on the crisis, sending billions of dollars to provinces and territories, either in kind or through monetary transfers, because we know that we all need to work together to support each other through this crisis. When it comes to booster shots, it looks like there could potentially be an accelerating schedule there. Some provinces are already talking about fourth boosters for people who are immunocompromised. Are you confident that Canada has enough supply to keep up if we start to see regular booster shots required for COVID-19? Yes, uh, Canada has done extremely well compared to other countries in terms of overall vaccination rates. We've been at the top of the league for many months now, and that's in large part thanks to the efforts of Canadians and Canadian healthcare workers. So I want to thank them, obviously, for what they've done, which is to, do, to, take, to make the right choice to be, to, be, uh, to be vaccinated. And second, we have enough vaccine uh, doses, uh, enough boosters right now to give a third dose to everyone. So if we had enough uh, human resources, tomorrow we could give everyone a booster shot in Canada and we have an additional 35 million booster doses coming in the next few months. So we have ample vaccines in Canada. We just need to get those vaccines into the arms of people. You mentioned healthcare workers and there's been such a tremendous strain on them throughout COVID-19. They've been working very hard. A lot of folks are choosing not to work in the healthcare system anymore. They're simply exhausted. And as those numbers drop, that puts more and more pressure on the remaining doctors, nurses, assistants who are working in hospitals uh, and makes it harder to do their jobs. You've talked about hiring more doctors, more nurses, more healthcare workers. Where is the government going to find those people? Because it seems like we need them and we need them in a hurry. Well, three things on that. The first is a, it's a top priority, a top concern on the part of my, all of my colleagues, health ministers across Canada. I spoke to them again last Thursday. That's their main, the greatest preoccupation. The second thing is obviously healthcare resources, investments in them, maintaining them, hiring them. That's mostly a provincial and territorial responsibility. Third, however, it's a joint responsibility as well. We've signaled in the, in the campaign just a few months ago that we would be investing very significantly, supporting the efforts of provinces and territories around um, you know, helping um, hire more, you know, providing appropriate working conditions for the healthcare workers so we can keep them in the job, maintain their level of confidence and satisfaction, because healthcare resources not only are key now, but they'll be key in the longer term. We are facing an aging population with greater uh, health care needs and fewer people to look after them as we get an older population. So it's, this is a tremendously uh, important aspect of our relationship. 
And that's all true, but I don't think it answers the question about where you find more doctors and nurses, because the problem doesn't seem to be that we're graduating so many of them and they're staying in Canada and they're unemployed. It seems to be people who are leaving the country or that we're not graduating enough or that we are not making it possible for people who have trained in other countries to come and work here in the jobs that they've trained for. Is your government going to address that in, in some kind of a policy? Yes, uh, what you've said is really good, uh, Mercedes. You've summarized everything that, that matters. Uh, but, and you've also signaled that we need to work together. And we, not only are we doing this right now, through the provision of uh, specific healthcare resources, the armed forces, the Canadian Red Cross, uh, uh, humanitarian organizations, uh, to which we are, from which we are seeking additional help in the particular crisis context. But overall, and more broadly, and in longer term, as you've said, we need to look after uh, our people, and we, for that we need to have more, uh, better access and, and better support to healthcare workers. One last question that has a lot of Canadians concerned. The Public Health Agency of Canada was collecting cell phone data from carriers about Canadian cell phones. People are worried that the government is somehow tracking them or tracing them. Can you explain to us what happened with that program and why the data was being collected? Well, three things here. First, acts, protecting the privacy and personal information is absolutely essential. The second thing is the, the process that has been followed has been both transparent and well-known for almost two years now. All the, the information is public on websites. It's been shared by the Prime Minister early in the pandemic. The objective is to protect Canadians' health in a way which that's the third point, in a way which has, makes absolutely no use of personal information. All of that information that we're using, that PHAC is using, is anonymized, de-identified, de it's also aggregated, meaning we, even if the agency wanted, and obviously it doesn't want to do that, it couldn't use personal information because it doesn't have personal information on anyone in Canada. Minister, thank you so much for taking the time to go through the many topics with us today. We hope to see you again soon. Take care. Thank you for your kind invitation and uh, hello to everyone. The WHO has recommended two more drugs to help in the treatment of COVID-19. Finding medications to treat the virus is another step toward trying to end the pandemic. But vaccinations remain the priority, and that's a challenge for many developing countries. Joining me now is Dr. Peter Singer. He's special advisor to the Director General of the World Health Organization. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Singer. Nice to have you back on the program. Uh, vaccines, obviously a huge topic of discussion. Uh, vaccine equity is still a big concern, too. And my mind goes to all the booster shots that we're giving out here in Canada that we're hearing are necessary to prevent COVID. Uh, we're now talking about fourth and maybe beyond that rounds of boosters. What impact do you think that will have on the distribution of vaccines to the developing world where there are still so few? Thank you, Mercedes, and it's good to be with you. You're right that uh, vaccinating the world is a key part of ending the pandemic, or at least ending the acute uh, part of the pandemic. You know, um, uh, in terms of the what, WHO has put forward a target of uh, every country vaccinating 70% of their population by July of 2022. 88 countries have not yet vaccinated 40%. 36 countries have not yet vaccinated 10%, which means health workers and, and high-risk high people. Um, in terms of why we want to do that, uh, or why anyone would want to do that, it's to save lives. And it's a lot of lives if you vaccinate higher risk people wherever they are in the world. And it's also to tamp down future variants. So that's one of the best ways to keep Canadians safe and prevent 
uh, a future uh, variant alongside other public health measures. And in terms of the how, it's sharing vaccines, sharing the technology, and of course, dealing with distribution bottlenecks. And in terms of your booster question, um, boosters do uh, put a strain on global vaccination. And WHO is not against boosters. We're against inequity. And we would like to see the highest risk people vaccinated and boosted wherever they are in the world. Are you worried about the uptake of the booster when people are saying, well, I got doubly vaccinated, but then I got Omicron. Uh, I, you know, personally am triply vaccinated. I got mine early last week, but I know that's a discussion that's out there. What is the WHO's position on vaccines as a means to get out of this pandemic? You know, the primary goal of vaccination is to save lives, to prevent severe illness and death and hospitalization. And vaccination is, is pretty effective at, uh, at doing that, which is why it's so important that if you're not vaccinated, you are at much higher risk of dying. And please get vaccinated because it could save your life. And of course, there are unvaccinated people everywhere in the world, including in Canada. And those people happen to be the most, uh, the most vulnerable people uh, often, including in Canada. So the primary goal is to prevent severe illness and death. And of course, um, they can also uh, prevent transmission along with, um, along with public health measures. So that's wearing a mask, ventilation, rapid testing, staying home when you're sick, physical distancing, uh, and, uh, and, and so on. So we say it's not vaccines only, it's vaccines and as a way to end at least the acute phase of the pandemic. When people do get COVID, uh, vaccinated or unvaccinated, obviously doctors are looking at ways to treat uh, in that scenario. Ideally, you avoid it, but if you're not able to, new medications are becoming available. And I know the WHO is recommending two new medications for the treatment of COVID just on Friday. What can you tell me about those? Yeah, there were two new medications recommended. Um, I think the best way to understand this is these medications expand the existing toolbox of medications. And as you say, an ounce of prevention with vaccines is better than a pound of cure, but it's also good to have cures and, uh, uh, or at least treatments. And so these expand the toolbox. You can see them as alternatives to things that have been previously recommended. So one of them is called baricitinib. And it's, uh, it has an effect on the immune system. And this is an alternative to uh, so-called inter interleukin-6 uh, inhibitors that were previously recommended in July. Um, the second one, and it's a strong recommendation, the second one is called sotrovimab, which is a monoclonal antibody. And it's an alternative to other monoclonal antibodies previously recommended in the fall. So the best way to think about this is not necessarily to focus in on those complicated names that are difficult to remember, but to, to, to think about this as expanding the toolbox, offering alternatives to previously recommended things. And, and keep in mind that when you're talking about treatment, oxygen is a really important treatment. Corticosteroids are a really important treatment. And... Um, Neither of these things, uh, or the interleukin-6 inhibitors for that matter, are the other thing that's on people's minds, which is the Paxlovid, which is currently being assessed by, uh, by Health Canada and by WHO. 
Omicron has sort of raised a question about the future of COVID. It's certainly much more transmissible. Lots of folks are saying they didn't know anyone who got the original COVID. Almost everyone, it seems, knows somebody who's caught this variant. Um, and the numbers are just overwhelming. But it seems like, thankfully, in a lot of people, the sickness is not as severe as it was before. What does this variant tell us about how COVID is progressing? And I hate to say it, but what can we expect from the next variant? Because it seems very likely that at some point there will be one. Firstly, Mercedes, Omicron is a wake-up call, as though we needed another wake-up call, that we have to vaccinate the world. It's really one of the best ways to keep Canadians safe. And this is kind of the counterintuitive thing, that one of the best ways to keep people in any country safe is to vaccinate everybody, A, because it saves a lot of lives, and B, because um, alongside other public health measures, it can help to prevent future variants. So it's point one. Um, it's also um, important for people to realize that these variants are predictable and potentially preventable. And so if we keep doing what we're doing, unfortunately, it is possible, even likely, that there will be another variant. And we won't be ending the pandemic. You know, Dr. Tedros likes to say that um, when we end the pandemic is a matter of choice, not chance. And if we choose to vaccinate the world and follow the other public health measures, we can at least accelerate the end of this acute phase of, of the pandemic. In terms of what those future variants will be like, it's very hard to know that in terms of transmissibility in terms of virulence, but it's certainly possible that the next one, the next letter in the Greek alphabet, by the way, is pi, um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, pi could be worse than Omicron. And that's why it's so important for us to act, to vaccinate the world, to follow the uh, public health advice of, uh, of, uh, of, our, of, our, uh, of public health authorities. Um, and, you know, this is in our hands. The pandemic will end. There is hope, but when it ends, to a large measure is up to us, and we should act more than we're acting now because we're not doing well enough on vaccinating the world at the moment. Hmm. I think the only kind of pie I want to hear about, and perhaps a few others, is the kind I can eat. So I hope that doesn't come to fruition. But thank you so much for your time, Dr. Singer. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mercedes. It's good to be with you. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back here next Sunday. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block.